This is Speaking Out on ABC Radio, Radio Australia on podcast and the ABC Listen app. I'm Larissa Berendt. This last week saw the passing of Jilpia Napaljari-Jones, formerly known as Marjorie Baldwin-Jones. Jilpia, a member of the Stolen Generations, was one of the first Aboriginal nurses at the Aboriginal Medical Service in Redfern, and she travelled Australia with Professor Fred Hollows working on the trachoma program. During this work in the Kimberley, she was reunited with her mother. Jilpia was active in the reconciliation movement, was a council member of the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies, and a director of Black Women's Action in Education, which later became the Roberta Sykes Foundation. After mentoring and supporting generations of young people, including myself, she herself went back to study at the Australian National University, where she earned her Bachelor of Arts. In honour of the memory and legacy of this remarkable woman, we are replaying an interview I did with Jilpia in her living room back in 2016. I was born in the Great Sandy Desert, Christmas Creek. The Whitefellas call that Christmas Creek, but we know it as, and my mother always knows it as Croonall. And you didn't grow up there, you grew up in Queensland. What sort of childhood did you have? I was removed when I was five to North Queensland and Grandma Jones was a fantastic person. She helped to grow me or rear me up, whatever you say, but I had a great childhood. But I only went out to the cattle station a few times. And you were one of the first Aboriginal nurses at the medical service when it started in the 1970s. Tell us how you decided to become a nurse. Oh, well, growing up in North Queensland, this is where I had my grandma's help. And we both thought I should get a job where I can fulfil my life. So I went to uh, North Queensland Cairns. And that's when I became a general nurse and a midwife. You were in Redfern during the 1970s, a very exciting time when the community was heavily involved in politics, the first legal service, Aboriginal legal service being set up, and the first Aboriginal medical service. What was Redfern like at that time? Well, when we started it in the medical service, it was rat-infested, old building. But it's there today. We had, you know, lots of people, patients, and Gordon Briscoe was one of the older ones who helped to start it, and Charles Perkins, and a few of the oldies who helped to start. And Sally Gould was first nurse. She's from down the road, Cara, somewhere. Her husband got transferred, so I helped to take over. And it was exciting. There's lots of things to do, and as I said, it was very much a poor people's place. When there was a doctor, you know, we got Professor Hollows and a few of the doctors come around, and John Thompson come around certain times in the evening because we were poor, and of course they could only do spend their time at night helping out, but that was all right. And then we had a drug man come and sort things out. And he said to me, he said, what do you got in our shelves? I said, will you have a look? I said, what we got, I'll order it from you. But remember, I don't have money. 
nor does the medical service. So that little idea came every month that he'd fill our stocks, penicillin and whatever. Then some old man came in and wanted to know what we were doing. Now, the God, the real estate bigs is white fellas. But anyway, he came in, looked around, and he gave me a piece of paper. And I just stuck it in my pocket because, you know, that time you were too busy. So when I opened it in the evening, I said, what? Poor old man. You never judge a book by its cover because it was a $1,000. Which was a lot of money in those days. It sure was. And I rang Prof and told him about it. And I said, well, he said, well, that's great, babe. You ended up working with Professor Hollows on the trachoma project, which took you all around the country. What sort of work were you doing at the time? Well, he needed a nursing assistant. And so I've obviously filled the gap. But when I went for my interview with him, as you always do, you wear your best designer gear, whatever you got, or whatever. <laughs> and he said, have you ever been in a blacks camp? I said, Prof, I was born in one. <laughs> so he mumbled something and then I got the job. But that's how it was. But you were reunited with your mother at the time. Tell us about how that came about. But I met her in Fitzroy Crossing, if I remember, at a school. And this old man came in and said, come girl, you come and meet your mother now. He was pretty old, like they all are, and I'm now discovering it. So there was a whole crowd of people, but there was a circle, and my mother was one of them. And she said, hello, little one. She searched me, felt my skin and everything, and I thought, oh, God, don't say she's blind. But it turned out she was doing all that to give me my skin name. That's what you're born with. Nebeljara. Jill Pierre, you do go back home from time to time. You drive across the country to do it, which is no small adventure, especially at your age. Why is it so important to you to go back home and spend that time on your own country? Well, we went back last year, but fortunately we had his oldest daughter and her husband and a couple of grandkids who were in their 20s. And we went back home. We stayed in Fitzgerald Crossing and they went on to Broome. They had never seen Broome. Fortunately, um, we went out to Cornell and I remembered where I lived when I was visiting Mother a few years ago. And then we went out to the station and they had changed the, um, as usual, lock gates were in use. So we decided to go down to her gravesite on the same route, but that changed the locks and all that. So anyway, Jane's husband, who is an engineer, thank God for that, and he was ready to change the locks, but they apparently, the station manager or owners, whatever they are, changed our locks, but the young man came down and led us through. And you were part of a native title claim over this country that you were born on, weren't you? Well, they tell me yes, and we got our native title out in the desert, as usual, the Western Desert, Great Sandy Deserts. So part of what you've been working towards is the importance of developing those skills to allow people to have the option of being born on country, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. I think it's important that you do have your nation or country, whatever you like to call it, 
added on your birth certificate. I don't have a birth certificate. With issues facing the Aboriginal community now, I know you've been heavily involved with the reconciliation movement. What do you think have been the most effective ways of building those relationships? Oh, I think listening to people, that's no matter who they are, blacks, whites, but it's listening to people and asking them where they're from. That was the remarkable Jilpia Napaljari-Jones who passed this last week.